Welcome to an incredible word from Pastor Marcus Dunham, Associate Pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, listen, guys, um, we are ready to jump into the word. And so uh, we are going to be beginning a new series. And uh, this is a bit of a tongue twister, so bear with me when I say this. But uh, we are going to be go- uh, we're starting a new series on the prison prayers of the Apostle Paul. Prison prayers of the Apostle Paul. And as we go through this, um, one of our goals is, well, the prison prayers that we're referring to are the prayers that Paul prays to the believers that he's writing to when he was in prison. He wrote four books while he was in, he wrote four letters while he was in prison. And he shared some prayers with these saints. And the prayers that he prayed were of power. They were meant to help them to grow in their faith and to help them grow closer to Jesus. And by extension, I believe that while these letters were written to uh, the believers that he wrote to, I believe also that these prayers were also written to us by extension. And they're meant to help grow our lives, to help us grow deeper in the, root, uh, I mean, the Word of God and grow our roots down, and for us also to grow closer to Jesus and it helped to enhance our walk with him. And so we're going to be dissecting those prayers and, um, and, and what we're talking about is the prison epistles. So what are these prison epistles? Well, the prison epistles we're talking about are four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And uh, the four letters that we're referring to are, to, uh, uh, are the book of Ephesians, book of Philippians, book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon. Those are four letters that Paul wrote. And here in a minute, we're going to share the story behind these prison epistles. Today, we're going to get some background, and we're going to get a good introduction. And, we, you know, it's good knowing the story, you know. It, it, you know, there's always a story to every letter that Paul writes, and, and, and really to every letter that's written um, uh, uh, um, in the New Testament. And so uh, we're going to share that story. But before we do, it's important for us to identify which prison experience that we're talking about when we say that the prison epistles were written while Paul was in prison because it is recorded that Paul was in prison three times. Now, it could have been more, but according to the Word of God, we have three instances where Paul was imprisoned. Okay, so the three that we're referring to, the first one is whenever he was in Philippi around A.D. 49, and this is found in Acts chapter 16. And if you remember when we were going through our our, um, our series on 1 Thessalonians, we talked about how Paul and his team left Philippi on their way to Thessalonica. But whenever they were in Philippi, this is when uh, they were there and they were ministering and there was a little slave girl who was demonically possessed who kept aggravating Paul and Silas and his team. And so eventually he got enough of it and he cast that demon out. Well, with that demon gone, uh, uh, also went her powers that, that the master was taking advantage of, and he was making some money. He got upset, and he caused a ruckus, and, in, in, and Paul ended up getting arrested. So he was thrown in prison, but he wasn't there very long because that night uh, an angel appeared, and while they were worshiping God, uh, that angel set them free, opened up all the doors, and they walked out, 
and they were free. And so there were some other things that happened there, but basically that was that first time that we see recorded that he was in prison. The second time that he was in prison was in Rome, although it was a little bit longer of an experience. He was arrested in Jerusalem, then he was in prison in Caesarea, and then in Rome. And this was his first imprisonment in Rome. And then his third prison experience was was whenever it was about AD 60, 66 to 68, somewhere around there, uh, the Apostle Paul was arrested. And this is uh, during the great uh, Roman fire, the great fire of Rome that you can read about um, in AD 64. And there was a great fire that, that took over half of Rome. And, uh, and uh, many people blamed the Emperor Nero at that time. And uh, to save face, he was looking for somebody to blame. Christians were one of the ones that people disliked. And so he decided to, uh, to take his, uh, or to put the blame on Christians. And Pastor Ron has spoke um, eloquently about this, about how he uh, gathered up Christians and he arrested them and persecuted them, specifically executed them by sticking them on sticks and lighting them on fire to light his garden, you know. Uh, you know, you know, nonetheless. But Paul was one of these that he ended up arrested. He was considered to be the ringleader of Christians. And so around AD 65, 66, 67, there's some different, um, you know, between scholars, you know, you know, depending on who you read. But somewhere around there, uh, I believe in around AD 66, he was arrested. And then many believe in 67 to 68, the apostle Paul was then executed. And uh, it was also during this prison, this, this was in Rome, and it was during this uh, imprisonment that many believe that he wrote the book of Second Timothy. And he talks about his time being before the judge and how he was ready to be, um, he was ready to be martyred uh, for, uh, for Jesus. And so uh, those are three different, uh, three different prison exper- experiences that we see, but... The one that we are referring to and that many refer to as prison epistles is the imprisonment, his, his second imprisonment, meaning his first one in Rome. And that has a story there, and we're going to tell it. So we're going to talk about it. And, uh, and just to throw in there also, uh, while Second Timothy was written while he was in prison, it's not included in these uh, prison epistles. That's a second, or that's a separate uh, letter there. So... So let's get to this story here, and um, you can find this um, in Acts, basically 21 through 28, and I'm going to summarize as we go through here, and we'll, um, we'll share a scripture in, in, in chapter 23 here in a moment, but if you were, to, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about Acts, uh, uh, this was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's, it's a two-part series that was written to a man named Theophilus, and uh, Acts uh, um, uh, uh, Luke, the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written together. And what I love about the book of Acts is that there's so much detail, so much history. I mean, he did so good at, at including so much detail to where you can really pinpoint in history when these things happened. And so, um, um, so which is why I'm able to tell this story with such great detail. But it starts with uh, Paul. He is finishing up his third missionary journey. And in his missionary journey, he's gathering, he's collecting, he's, he's gathering a collection of the saints because there are some believers who are in 
in, uh, in, in Jerusalem who have been suffering due to a famine that had happened. During about uh, AD 54, there was a famine and, uh, in Jerusalem. And during this time, um, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was making a collection. And on his way back to Jerusalem, he stops. And while he's there, the main purpose of him being there is that he is wanting to aid the saints. Well, when he gets there, uh, he meets up with some of the apostles and also with the apostle James, who was Jesus' brother, who's also overseeing the church there in Jerusalem. And he gives them a report and talks about all that they are doing and all that they have been doing um, to the Gentile believers across the world. And so they are celebrating. They're excited. It is great. And, of course, Paul, you know, you know one of the reasons why he's there is for the reason of him meeting the saints' needs. But... Instead of talking about that, they had a concern, and it was because Paul, because of his ministry to the Gentiles, many uh, Jewish believers took, up, uh, 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 took an issue with him because they felt that he was against um, uh, people keeping the law, specifically with being circumcised and things like that. And so there was a bit of an issue, and so um, James and, and, and the apostles, uh, James and the apostles, they decided, listen, um, we want you to do a few things to help save face, and this will help. We know what you're about. You know, they knew that really, you know, he, he understood those things, but he just didn't want to make people who weren't Jews follow the law. It, it, you know, the law, you know, was not going to save them. It was Jesus. And so they decided that they were going to have him do some ritual, do some things, and so that he could save face. So that's what he does. He heads to Jerusalem, and he has this week-long cleansing that he's doing. Well, towards the end, um, he was spotted by some Jews from Asia Minor, current-day Turkey. And um, they knew him, and these were, these were some of his enemies. Now, when you read a little bit further behind, whenever Paul mentioned that he was going to Jerusalem, some of the people that were with him were very concerned because they knew that his enemies were in Jerusalem. These Jewish teachers of the law and other people who were radicals, they wanted to kill Paul. And they were all in Jerusalem, and they didn't want him to go, but he was committed to go. And so he went, and while he was there in the temple, he was there in the inner court of the temple, and they spotted him, and they had spotted him with the Greek at one point. And one of the rules in a temple is that you cannot be in the inner court, only the Jews. Uh, Gentiles are allowed in the outer court, but, you're, but a Jew, only Jews are allowed in the inner court. And they mistakenly thought that Paul had brought a, a Greek, someone who was of Gentile, into the inner court. And according to their customs, not only was this illegal, but it was worthy of death. And so these guys, they caused a ruckus. And they just started pointing him out, crying out. And what ensues is this giant mob beginning to hop onto Paul and man. They are really beating him up. The Bible says that they are literally, that they beat him up. And they weren't just trying to teach him a lesson. The Bible says that they were trying to kill him. And if it wasn't for some Roman soldiers, the Roman guard having to step in, he would have been killed. But they stepped in, they stepped in saved his life, pulled him out, put him in chains, because they're trying to figure out what in the world happened. So he wants to address the crowd. He addresses them, and he lets them know, listen, let me tell you, about myself. And he 
shares his testimony about how he was also a Jew and how he got saved and, and then God did something radical and then he began to do ministry. And, and these people, they're really listening is what the Bible says until he mentions that God had called him to the Gentiles, which was a no-no for them. And that just made him more mad. So they, they're trying to kill Paul. The Romans are just like, okay, these guards, they get them, they pull them aside and Paul lets them know, and, you know, hey, listen, you know, I'm a Roman, you know, Roman citizen. And there's a lot more that happens, but that's chapter 21 in, uh, in Acts. Basically, after what happens after that is they transfer him over to Caesarea, which is also in Israel. And while he's there, uh, he, he gets transferred to a man named Governor Felix, okay? So Governor Felix takes Apostle Paul, and there Paul, he is pleading his case. He's letting him know, listen, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. He lets them know, and he lays all the facts out. And, of course, the Jews who had accused him were there, and they had a lawyer. They, I mean, they were ready, and they laid everything out. And Paul, of course, knowing that he didn't do anything wrong, he pleads his case. And, basically, Governor Felix finds him innocent. I mean, there's nothing that he did wrong. So you would think that he would get to go free, right? I mean, well... Unfortunately, he was dealing with a corrupt politician, is what the Bible describes uh, Governor Felix as. And y'all know what that means. <laughs> and because he was corrupt, he decided that he was going to keep Paul in prison a little bit longer with an opportunity that he can get some cash. Well, uh, you know, Apostle Paul doesn't have money, so, uh, you know, he stayed in prison for another two years in Caesarea. And he did nothing wrong. Until, and all the way it led up to where uh, Governor Felix was replaced by a man named, uh, named Festus. And so Festus is there, and he wants a fair trial. He just wants to get this thing over with, with Paul. And so he decides, hey, listen, here's an opportunity for you to have your case retried in Jerusalem. Well, Paul knew that this was most likely an idea from his enemies in Ju- uh, who, who were Jewish, most likely, they were planting a, uh, um, a, uh, a trap so that they can kill Paul along the way. So Paul was like, listen, I don't want any of that. I want to appeal to Caesar. Now, that was a big deal. If you appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen, not only did you have that right, but that's, that's, the, highest, that's the highest court of law. Well, Paul had a different ambition. It wasn't just that he wanted to get his case heard. It's not just that he wanted to be treated right. But the Word of God says that that an angel of the Lord, specifically the Lord, appeared to Paul. And this is what it says here in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. He says this, that, that God tells them, have courage. For as you testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. Paul knew that roads were leading to Rome. He knew that he had to get there. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make sure I get to Rome. And so, and so Paul the apostle appeals to Caesar, knowing that that would get him to Rome. So after that, a few things happen. You know, he, he sits before uh, King Agrippa and some other things happen. But basically, he then begins his journey to Rome. 
So he hops on a boat, and he, he, gets, uh, he gets put into the custody of a Roman guard named Julius. It's, it's just amazing that we have the name of the guard. I mean, Luke did such a great job of including so much detail. But we know it's a guy named Julius. And it's not the Julius from uh, Remember the Titans. So, okay, okay, some of you guys remember that movie. Okay, cool. Uh, but Julius, he, uh, he takes Paul along with some other prisoners, and they hop on this boat. And they hit four countries and two different islands on their way to Rome. So as they leave, they leave from Israel. In fact, go ahead and pull up a map. I, um, I went ahead and I found a map that I thought was really good here. It's not super clear, but, um, but they start off in Jerusalem. And, I'm sorry, they start off in Caesarea. And then they go from Caesarea, they stop in Syria. Then they go from Syria, and then they go to Turkey. And then they go from Turkey to the island of Crete. Okay, and then when they're in Crete, they're getting ready to head uh, to make their way to Rome. But y'all see those crazy squiggly lines right there in that ocean right here, uh, uh, there in that sea? That's Acts 27. You can read about it. There is a two-week-long storm that they go into that Paul tries to warn them. And the reason he's warning them, I'm guessing, is because he's trying to get to Rome. He wants to get there because the Lord wants him there. But they go from Crete to the country and island of Malta. And then they go from Malta to Sicily. And then from Sicily, they get to Italy. And there in Italy, they hit uh, a few other places, and then they finally get to Rome. But I have, you know, I have no idea how long this took. I'm imagining, you know, because they stayed two weeks, they stayed two months. They stayed, I mean, I'm going to guess about a year probably. Pastor Ron will probably know better than me. But I'd say about a year it took to get to Rome. Maybe, you know, a little less, a little more. But they finally get to Rome. And, of course, like I mentioned, there was a two-week-long storm and more drama happens. They end up shipwrecking onto Malta, and then eventually they get there. But what's amazing is when they get to Rome, Paul is handed over to the Praetorian Guard. Let me see I said that right. Uh, Praetorian Guard, yes. And um, when they're handed over to the Praetorian Guard, these guys, they were responsible for having custody of any prisoners who were outside Rome and outside Italy. That's what, the, that, that's what their job was. So he's taken into custody, he's put into chains, and then he's put on house arrest, most likely in one of the apartments, one of the many apartments that they have for prisoners. But here's the amazing thing. He makes it to Rome, he's put on house arrest, but here they allow him with him being a Roman citizen, to have people come visit him, to have people come see him. People are, are coming and going, and from a limited way, he's, having, he's able to have a limited ministry there. And now listen, Paul, anytime that he went into any city, he would stop in a synagogue, and he would be able to minister to Jews and then he would minister in the town square and in the city, and he'd be able to reach Jews, and he'd be able to reach Gentiles. But when he was in Rome, he was given a, a, a completely different opportunity. The Holy Spirit snuck him into the middle of the imperial great Roman Empire, dropped him right in the middle, 
And he's able to minister to Jews, but these are Roman Jews. He's able to minister to soldiers. I mean, it, there has, there's an account there of him ministering of this entire guard, an entire army. And what are they talking about? The Bible says they're talking about Paul and they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the gospel. And right there in the middle of Rome, he fulfills what God had told him that he was going to do and that he gets to minister the gospel right there in the heart of the, of the Roman Empire. Wow. That is incredible. I mean, there's, you cannot get into the, uh, you can't get into the, the, uh, the, the fortified city of Rome by accident. There's no way. But God had a plan and he got him there right in the middle. And I believe that it's right there that the gospel even spread even more right there from the middle. It's amazing. And it was here while Paul was on this house arrest that while he had people coming and visiting, people come, coming and going, that he there was, it was here that he began to write the letters, what we know as the prison epistles, which are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And that is the story. And it is an amazing story. Isn't that interesting? You know, and you know, you can find all of that right there in Acts 21 through 28. I would would encourage you to read it. But with that said, I want to do just a little bit more background specifically, just just to give us some more understanding, because when we go into these books, we're going to go, we're going to be sharing a prayer. We're not going to be going through the books of the Bible. We're just going to be sharing a prayer. But some of this, I think, is going to help us when we get into the book to help give us us an idea of what is happening uh, there. So uh, some of the themes that you'll find in the prison epistles, uh, starting with Ephesians, is unity. Uh, You'll find unity in the book of Ephesians, specifically in the body of Christ. That Jesus, not only did he uh, unify all things to himself, but he also unified the church, with, which is the body. Uh, whether you are Greek, whether you are Jew, whether you are black, whether you are white, no matter what color or what, uh, what background you have, all have been unified in Christ, in the body of Christ. And so that's an overall theme that you'll find in Ephesians. In Philippians, you'll, find, you'll hear a theme of encouragement. And it is a theme uh, of, of, of Paul encouraging uh, the Philippians. He really didn't have anything bad or anything that he needed to address. He was just writing to the church there. And he encourages them to have joy in Christ. And then he encourages them to be in the gospel, to continue to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to believe the gospel, to stand in the gospel, to be rooted in the gospel. So encouragement is in Philippians. In Colossians, a theme that you'll find is in Christ. Talking about in Christ. Numerous times you can go through and just count how many times that Paul says in Christ, because he says it so many times. But specifically, this theme talking about the lordship of Christ, that he is, that he is above all things, that he is control of all things, that he created all things. He is Lord, both in spiritual and the physical, that he is Lord and that we are all in Christ in him. 
And then fourthly, Philemon, the theme that you'll find is reconciliation. Reconciliation, specifically as brotherhood of believers or a family of believers. Paul is writing to Philemon, a pastor that he is writing to and uh, wanting to, uh, uh, to encourage him to allow his slave, his runaway slave, Onesimus, to, to accept him back. And Onesimus, you know, he ran away. I don't know how Paul found him, but he did. And he got saved and he became useful for the gospel. Well, Paul is encouraging him to welcome him back. And so there's a theme of reconciliation there. And then the last thing that we'll share here before we get into our takeaways. Um, this is just interesting to me. You may not find this super interesting, but for me it is. Um, it's uh, the delivery of the epistles. You know, how did these epistles get out? I mean, like, he's in prison. I mean, he can't leave. I mean, obviously, somebody had to get these letters out. And so here we find um, in these letters how these letters, um, uh, um, um, how they got out. In Ephesians, a man named uh, Tychicus and Onesimus, they delivered the letter of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. In the book of Philippians, we find a man named Epaphroditus delivers that letter, who was actually a pastor or minister there in the church of Philippi, who came to see Paul, and on his way back, he sent him with this letter. And the Bible talks about how he got sick, almost died, but he ended up surviving, which delayed its, um, its, its delivery, its arrival of the letter. So, uh, but that's Epaphroditus. In the book of Colossians, also Tychicus and Onesimus. And um, they delivered the letter to them. And then finally, the letter of Philemon, which we know for sure Onesimus delivered it. And many believe that Tychicus was with him. But there's a chance that he was not. Uh, I wasn't sure, so I went ahead and I included him in here. But for sure, Onesimus was the one who had to deliver the letter. He had to be because that's the whole reason why he wrote it. And so that is just some interesting background for you because when we go into it, we're going to be focusing on the prayers that he prayed. And um, these are some very powerful prayers. I believe that if we look to apply them to our life, that they are going to help enhance our walk with Jesus as they were intended for um, the readers that Paul wrote to. So four takeaways that I get from everything that we just learned, the story and the background of these prison epistles. Four takeaways. Number one, I'm amazed at Paul's commitment to prayer. One of the things that we're going to read as we go through is Paul's commitment to prayer that he has. You know, every letter that Paul wrote for sure in his prison epistles and almost all of his letters that he wrote, he begins them with prayer. He starts off with prayer. And, he, and not only does he start off with prayer, but he mentions also how often he remembers them in prayer. Paul was praying for the saints. And while I'm sure that he was praying for himself, I believe that the majority of his prayers were for the church. It was for the saints. He was praying for them. And listen, Paul did many miracles. Paul did great things in the name of God. He did a lot of things in his ministry. But one thing that he never forgot to do is to pray. He knew that there were some things that only God could do. And that is something that, that, that we can also, a, a pull from Paul is the importance of prayer. 
and, and how and that if we can have that same commitment to prayer, what it would do not only in our life, but the people that we are praying for. Amen. A second thing that I see um, that I get from the prison epistles is Paul's commitment to the church. I love this. Paul's commitment to the church. I mean, this guy was in prison, but it didn't stop his willingness and it didn't stop his ministry in making sure that things were still happening. And he wrote from the confinement of prison and he wrote out of love to the church. He was, his church was on his mind and he understood that the church was not just something that people just go to. It's not just something that we do, but he understood that it was the literal body of Christ. You can't separate Jesus and church. You can't. It's impossible. Jesus is the head of the church, and we as the church are the body of Christ. And Paul understood that, he, that Jesus was married to the church. It was his bride. He, and he knew how important it was. It wasn't something that he did. It was something that God did. And everywhere he went, he was looking to plant a church. Man, the importance of the church to us. Listen, we're the ones in church. But it, it, it tells us the importance of church, not just being in church, but understanding the role that church plays. You know, there's plenty of people that I talk to. There's people in my family or people that I've talked to who are Christians, and they'll tell me, listen, man, I love Jesus, but I, but, but I don't go to church. I don't do church. Man, I, you know, I just, you know, you know I, I can't stand the people in there. You know, they're hypocrites. Or, you know, I can't stand what was done, you know, in the name of the church all these years ago. But, you know, we, we, don't, we don't go to church just because of the people that are in the church, which, by the way, I'm thankful that we have a wonderful pastor. And I'm not trying to just butter up. I'm serious. We have a really good pastor. You have a great pastor. Amen? How many of y'all believe that? Yes. Oh, yes, that's true. And it matters. It matters. And people do go for a good pastor. But that's not the only reason why we go to church. We go to church because we're followers of Jesus. And we get saved, we get baptized, we get planted in a church. And that is the model, the overall model. And it's important. Church is not just something we do. It is God's plan. Everything he does is through the church. And so Paul was committed to it. Thirdly, Paul's commitment to the gospel. He was committed to the gospel. Everything he did was for the gospel. Everything that he endured was for the gospel. I mean, Paul went through some brutal things. And he didn't quit because he understood that it was the hope for humanity. That the gospel, the good news, was the one, three, was the one thing and the one reason why, why Jesus left them there on earth. It was, it was God's plan for salvation for mankind. And Paul was committed to defending and preserving the gospel. In almost every letter that he writes, he's defending the gospel from some teaching that arises. And listen, if you, know, if you didn't know, 
There, you, you know, if you were to go on TikTok, if you were to go on YouTube, if you were to go on Instagram, there are stories that are going and that are cycling of self-proclaimed pastors of a progressive gospel preaching a, a gospel that is not true. And you will see many people saying amen, saying thank you, we agree with you, believing something, making Jesus to be less than God. And let me tell you, it is trash. But let me tell you, if it, Paul was here, he would be defending the gospel. And it's what we should do as well. Defending not just as ministers, but as fathers, as mothers, as grandparents. Making sure that the gospel is defended for our children, for our family, for our friends. To make sure that Jesus, that Jesus is still on the throne of whatever message that we give. Amen? Make sure that they are believing the gospel. And number four, lastly, is Paul's commitment to God's plan. God had a plan for Paul. And what's interesting that I've read about Paul, Jesus revealed to him what he was going to do. And a lot of times, God doesn't always reveal to us what we're going to do for him. You know, maybe because he just imagines that we may say no, but Jesus let him know that he was going to suffer, and he embraced it. He embraced God's plan for his life. Even though it led to him being imprisoned, even though it led to him being beaten, even though it eventually led to him being martyred, he was ready to embrace it. One of the things that I think is really cool and what I believe why he was so eager to go to Jerusalem is because it was in Jerusalem not too long before that that Paul was persecuting the church. And for the opportunity for him to provide aid to Christians was an opportunity for him that he couldn't pass up. Paul, he was committed to God's plan. He was willing to embrace whatever came his way. And it encourages me to embrace, number one, God's ultimate plan, but more specifically, God's plan for my life. And let me encourage you to embrace God's plan for your life. Embrace God's, embrace God's plan for your life where you're at now. You know, there's things that we want in the future, but we got to leave those things to God. We got to, you know, we can hope and pray, but for the moment that we're here, God has called us to our church, through our church, to our families, wherever he has called us in our workplace, Embrace God's plan for your life right now because God, he is ready to move through you just in the same way that he moved through the Apostle Paul. Amen? Amen. So again, the four takeaways is Paul's commitment to prayer. Let us be committed to prayer. Let us be committed to the church. Let us be committed to the gospel. And let us be committed to God's plan for our life. Amen? Thanks again for joining us for this dynamic message from Pastor Marcus Dunham. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.